This is Scripture on Creation with Dr. Ben Scripture. With a Master of Divinity, a Ph.D. in Biochemistry, and over 30 years of experience studying and teaching about creation, he is well-equipped to discuss biblical and scientific perspectives on creation, science, and intelligent design. This and past programs are also available as a free podcast, so you can listen anytime. And now, here is Scripture on Creation. Thank you, and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, we've begun a series, Creation, in the book of Job. Mm -hmm. And at this point, you're discussing some features of the book that help us to interpret the meaning correctly as we address various passages in it. Yeah, you could say we're making sure we have the proper context in which Job was written. Exactly. So we first considered the contextual importance of knowing the type of literature Job is. And I explained the details of Job's literary form previously. But Scott, give us a brief summary of that topic. Well, Job falls within the category of wisdom literature, like the Proverbs, and it is written mostly in poetic form, just like Proverbs. Right. However, the almost 40 chapters of poetry in Job are embedded in what is an historical narrative, which covers the first two chapters and finishes with the final 11 verses of the book. And because most of the book is poetry... We must continually take into consideration that there are several poetic devices used to convey the ideas being expressed, like metaphors or similes and the language of appearance. Yet that does not mean everything being expressed is merely symbolic and shouldn't be understood literally in the sense that the things mentioned aren't real. The information is presented as historical reality and factual. And here's another interesting feature related to the literary form of Job. It has been observed by many scholars that the entire narrative, with the poetic dialogue embedded in it, is written as a play. Now, Scott, you do a lot of work in theater. That's true. Don't you think Job could make an excellent theatrical production? It's funny you should mention that, Dr. Scripture, because in my Bible college days, one of the classes I took was poetical books, which included Job. And one of our assignments was to take the book of Job and basically convert it into a script. Oh, that's really cool. My uh, version of it hasn't survived. I didn't think I did a very good job. (laughs) Some people were great, but yeah, that was a fun exercise. Yeah, I'd love to see it done as a play someday. But although Job could be seen to be presented as a play, that still does not give interpreters of the book license to dismiss what it says as though it was meant to be just fantasy or that the events described did not take place. And to support that claim, it's important to note that Job is mentioned in both the Old and New Testaments as a real historical person. Scott, read James 5.11. Behold, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. So there's the New Testament confirmation. And in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, the Lord is going to bring certain judgment against Judah. And twice in Ezekiel chapter 14, the Lord names Job. Here is one in Ezekiel 14, 14. Even though these three men... Noah, Daniel, and Job were in its midst. By their own righteousness, they could only deliver themselves, declares the Lord God. So notice, here's confirmation of the historical reality of not only Job, but Noah and Daniel as well. 
And the thought of Noah can bring up another contextual issue, and that is, when did Job live relative to Noah? Before or after the flood? You know, knowing the world Job lived in, the pre- or post-Diluvian world, will significantly affect how we understand many of the things described in Job. Now, many people might ask, why would there be any reason to even entertain the idea that Job lived before the flood? Well, Scott, can you think of a reason? Well, because the existence of a dinosaur is mentioned in Job, Mm -hmm. and the assumptions of many people, even some creationists, is that no dinosaur survived Noah's flood, so Job must have lived before the flood. Well, that's it. But assumptions aside... We must let Scripture speak for itself to determine when Job lived. Now, when we get to Job chapter 40, we'll discuss that description of behemoth, a creature that can reasonably only be a dinosaur. But getting back to how the interpretation of statements in Job would be affected by when Job lived, pre- or post-flood, an example would be the statements about the ice and snow frequently mentioned in Job. I've made the point in other programs that such references indicate Job may have lived only a relatively short time after the flood, because the ice caps that formed on the north and south poles, and in the case of where Job lived, the ice from the north, would have extended considerably further south than the polar ice cap is today. And Job and the people living in the region north of where Israel is today were quite familiar with the ice and snow in the regions north of them. But if, in fact, these were descriptions of the pre-flood conditions on Earth, that would dramatically alter the creation model of Earth's climate at creation and during the pre-Diluvian era. Including the commonly held idea that it did not rain before the flood. And that would also include snow. That's right. Especially the amounts involved in forming the ice cap and glaciers of Earth's North Pole. So... As we think of what does Scripture say to indicate that Job lived after the flood, the weather conditions are certainly important factors to consider. But we must admit the understanding that precipitation was not prevalent or even existent on earth before the flood is assumed to a certain extent when we interpret Job's statements about the weather. And one other factor related to weather, but not ice and snow, is the frequent mention of thunder and lightning, which again, the creation model of atmospheric conditions before the flood proposes thunder and lightning would not have occurred on earth. Now, I've discussed Job's referencing ice and snow and thunder and lightning, so let's look at a couple of those references. Scott, start reading at Job chapter 37, verse 9. Okay, Out of the south comes the storm, and out of the north, the cold. From the breath of God, ice is made, and the expanse of the waters is frozen. And verse 11, also with moisture he loads the thick cloud. He disperses the cloud of his lightning. So in that passage, storms, ice, and lightning are all mentioned. And let's read a verse that mentions thunder. In Job 26, which gives a sweeping overview of the power and control of the Creator over man and nature, Job makes the observation that as fantastic as those descriptions were, quote, Behold, these are the fringes of His ways, and how faint a word we hear of Him, but His mighty thunder, who can understand, unquote. And Dr. Scripture, before we look at other factors that indicate Job lived after the flood, There's one other weather-related reference I'd like to point out. Sure, Scott. What's that? 
Well, at the very beginning of the story, when it talks about what happened to Job, it seems that his livestock were struck and killed by lightning and that a tornado-like wind was responsible for the deaths of Job's children. (laughs) Which produces the mindset, as one reads on, that these were post-flood conditions. And in that passage describing the destruction that came upon Job, references to a couple of people groups are another reason we interpret these events to occur after the flood. We noted earlier that the Chaldeans are mentioned in Job. And there's another group of people in Job chapter 1, the Sabaeans, that are referred to. So let's read Job 1, verses 14 through 17. A messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Okay, so there's what you pointed out, Scott. The fire of God falling from heaven surely is lightning. And Sabaeans and Chaldeans killed Job's servants and took his livestock. Now, the Sabaeans are known to have lived in the southwest part of Arabia, of course, after the flood. In fact, it is likely that they were the descendants of Noah's great-grandson, Sheba. Cush was the son of Noah's son, Ham. And in the genealogy of Noah and his sons, it says in Genesis 10, 7, And the sons of Cush were Sheba and Havilah and Sabta and Ramah and Sabtika. (laughs) (laughs) So here we have genealogical evidence that Job was living amongst people who lived after the flood. And the other group, the Chaldeans, are mentioned numerous times throughout the Old Testament as people who lived in the region both Job and Abram came from. Let's read Genesis 11, 27, and 28. Now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. And Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. So here is additional genealogical confirmation that Abram's family, whom we know lived after the flood, came from the land of the Chaldeans, a people who came out of Mesopotamia, also known as the Fertile Crescent. Thus, we know both the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans living in Job's day were definitely post-Diluvian peoples, and therefore, so was Job. Dr. Scripture, I don't want to be overly questioning, but you made a very firm assertion when you said, we know Abram lived after the flood. Is there a simple biblical confirmation of that? (laughs) Yes, there is, Scott. It's the genealogy of Noah, which is what we wish we had of Job. But anyway, in Genesis 10.1, go ahead and read it. Now, these are the records of the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and sons were born to them after the flood. And we're going to not read all the generations of Shem. Not only would it take a long time, but my tongue is done with all the tongue twisting that would be involved. (laughs) But some of the descendants of Shem were Eber and Peleg and Nahor and then Terah, 
who we already read was Abram's father. All these generations, as Genesis 10.1 said, were born after the flood. And finally, there's one other bit of information that connects the place and time Job lived with Abram. Scott, do you remember any of the names of Job's friends? I think so. There was Eliphaz and Bildad and Gopher. (laughs) (laughs) Well, almost. It wasn't Gopher. It was Zophar or or Zophar. (laughs) Well, he reminded me of a Gopher. Okay. So the names of the three men also included their places of origin. It wasn't just Eliphaz, Bildad, and Gopher. Now you got me saying it. Sorry. And Zophar. (laughs) Eliphaz was called Eliphaz the Temanite. And then at the end of the book, remember the young man who also had a lot to say to Job and his friends? Yes, Elihu. Uh, Right. And Elihu was the son of Barakel the Buzzite. What's interesting about these places, Teman and Buzz, is archaeologists have located places identified as Tema and Buzz in the region where the story of Job takes place. And something I find really fascinating is Abraham's brother Nahor had a son named Buzz. So, we can't make positive connection between these people, but it does seem the people involved in the story of Job can be placed in time and region with people related to Abraham. We know Abraham lived after the flood, and although we don't have Job's genealogy, which could simply and conclusively place him after the flood, we do have overwhelming evidence from the biblical accounts to say confidently, Job lived after the flood. And therefore, we know we are being introduced to the post-Diluvian patriarch, Job, when the story begins with, In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the program. If you would like to hear this or past episodes of the program, you can listen to them on our free podcast, Scripture on Creation. If you have comments or questions you'd like Dr. Scripture to answer, contact him by calling 574-551-1524 or by sending an email to scripture at scriptureoncreation.org.